Uh, Luke chapter 15 is where we're at. So if you have your Bibles, grab them. Luke chapter 15. If not, the words will be on the screen. And if you have kids here and they make noise, get out. I'm just kidding. I take I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. Just kidding. We want, we love, we love that you bring your kids here. We love their little noises. And so don't be worried about it. All right. Luke chapter 15. There's like a ringing going on. You have to pull me down a little bit. Check. Woo. There we go. That's better. All right. Last week we talked about eternity. And we said four things about eternity. One, that it was real, that it was final, that it had already begun, and where you spend it was up to you. And as we think about eternity, particularly as we think about heaven and hell and what those things are like, uh, I think sometimes uh, popular culture, uh, like in all things of our thinking, has begun to, begins to like kind of mold us more than the Bible molds us. So for example, this week I was talking to a buddy of mine and he was telling me that when he thinks of heaven, he can't help but think of Bugs Bunny uh, playing a harp floating on a cloud. And I was like, me too, right? And so I, the cartoons that I watched growing up that kind of portrayed heaven or hell in a certain way, those, those images intrinsically come into my mind. Uh, and that's funny and all those things. But I think the real dangerous part uh, of how the culture molds us more than the Bible is that when we begin to kind of subconsciously think that heaven is for good people and hell is for bad people. Our story this morning will show us that that is not the case. The parable that we're going to look at is known as the prodigal son. It is without a doubt the most popular parable. Uh, you don't have to really ever go to church to have, have heard of it. However, as I'm going to show you, I think it is named incorrectly. Uh, the titles in your Bible are not written by the authors of the Bible, but were added just to be a help. And I think the prodigal son is not the right name for it. Uh, this story is actually about two sons, how, and how both sons are alienated from their father in two different ways. Our parable this morning shows us that there are two ways to be lost, and only one way to truly make it home. Two ways to be lost, and only one way to make it home. So let's read our text this morning, Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Luke writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says these words. And he said... There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields uh, to feed pigs. And he was longing to feed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet 
And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field. He came and drew near to the house and heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He said to him, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. Uh, this parable, if, you, if we read verse 1, would tell us that there are two groups of people that Jesus is telling this parable to. There are the religious Pharisee kind of good people. And there are the uh, uh, sinners and tax collectors, bad people. And Jesus is representing them in this parable through the younger brother and the older brother. The younger brother representing the, the bad people, the sinners, the tax collectors. And in verse 12, he says, And the younger of them said to his father, Give me my share of the property that is coming to me. Now, the older brother would have gotten two-thirds of all of the property, and the younger would have gotten a third of all of the property. And so the younger brother is what he's doing. He's going to his father, and he's saying, I want my inheritance now. I want my inheritance now. Now, understand what he's asking. When do you get an inheritance? You get an inheritance when your loved one, friend, father, mother, grandparents, when they die. And so what this younger brother is saying, the, to, to make this request while the father was still alive, is to say, I wish you were dead. He is saying, I want your stuff, I don't want you. He had enjoyed his father's stuff his whole life, but now he's gotten to the point where he no longer wants to put up with the relationship with his dad. And so he's simply saying, I'm, you're dead to me and I want your stuff. I want out of this family. Give me what's mine so I can leave. Now, in a society where, a patriarchal society where leaders and, and, and titles and respect mattered, if you would have normally said this to your father, he would have you out of the family and said, you'll get nothing. But this father doesn't do that. This father graciously gives the son exactly what he asks for at great cost to himself. Now, think about it. This father didn't have money, and so what does he have to do? He's got to go out, and he's got to sell part of his land. He's got to sell animals. He's got to go sell these things to get the money to give to his son. He's got to give his very livelihood up to give it to his son. But he does it. And he doesn't act like we do when people reject our love. He doesn't, he doesn't get mad. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't say, well, I never loved you anyway, so get out of here. He doesn't do any of that. He patiently endures tremendous loss of honor and pain of rejected love and yet maintains his affection for his son. So now his son takes this money and he leaves home and he goes to a far country where he can finally live it up where he can finally live out from the, under the, the pressure of his father's thumb. And what does he do? But he spends all of his money on reckless living. He lives this immoral lifestyle. He does all these bad things that he can never do at home, thinking, now I'll finally be happy. 
I can do what I want to do. But eventually the money runs out. And eventually he hits rock bottom. And he can't go home. He doesn't feel like he can go home. And so he goes and he hires himself out. And he finds himself sleeping with pigs, eating the slop that the pigs eat. You only do that for so long when he realizes that my father's servants, the people who work for my dad, they do better than that. They don't sleep with the pigs. They don't have to eat the pig slop. So he thinks, okay, I'll get up. I'll go home. He comes up with this plan. It says in verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He knew that everyone in the town would shun him. He knew all the people, all the servants of the community would shun him. His dad would shun him. His, his brother would shun him. He knew that he had no place there, but he thought. If he came and said, Dad, I know I can't be your son anymore. I know I don't belong to this family anymore, but can I work for you? He thought maybe that would work, and maybe he could at least have a roof over his head and eat bread. He thought maybe that would work. And, and maybe in his wildest dreams, he thought, well, if I get a job, I can work, and I maybe, maybe, just maybe I could pay my dad back the inheritance and get get back into my family. And so he begins to rehearse and memorize this speech where he's going to go, he's going to go see his dad. He's going to say, Dad, I know I've sinned against heaven and before you. I know I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just hire me. He's got this speech memorized and he's ready to say it. Gets up and he heads home. All the while, the father is sitting on the porch and every day he looks out over the horizon, looks out over the fields, hoping one day to see the faintest image of a person walking toward him. And day after day, he's disappointed. Day after day, he doesn't sign and he goes to bed sad until one day. One day, the father's sitting there and he sees an image out way across the field and heart begins to speed up. But he doesn't want to get his hopes up. And as he sees that, that it's probably his son, he does a fascinating thing. He doesn't cross his arms and wait. He doesn't, he doesn't prepare of what he's going to say. He immediately leaps up. He hikes up his clothes, and he bares his legs, and he runs. And that's an important thing to understand because in this day and age, men didn't run. That was a childish, boyish thing to do to run, particularly to bare your legs. You didn't show your legs. But this dad doesn't care. He sees his son coming home, and so he hikes up his clothes, and he begins to take off running. And in the, in the, in the Greek language, it says that he, that he falls on his neck. It's like he tackles his son, and he embraces him. And what does the son do? When the son sees his dad running, he's going to oh, no, here he comes. He's going to lay into me. And so he's got his speech ready, and he says, Dad, dad I, know, I know I've sinned against you, and I know I've sinned against heaven, and, and I know I'm not worthy to be called your son, but the dad doesn't even let him finish. He just embraces him and holds him. And he says, just stop talking. You're not going to work. He doesn't let him grovel. He says, somebody go get my robe. Somebody go get my ring. Somebody get some shoes. Put my robe on my son's back. He's home. Go somebody go get the fattened calf because we're going to throw a party. Go tell everybody that my son is home because it's time to celebrate. He does not let the son give his apology speech. He does not let him grovel. He does not wait for the false promises to come and say, Dad, I, I promise I'll be better. Let me work. He doesn't say, oh, son, if you work. He doesn't let him do that. He sees his son, and he goes, and he embraces him, and he says, you're home. Let's celebrate. He says, I will cover your nakedness. I will cover your poverty. I will cover your rags with the robes of my office and honor. 
And here's the message that God's love, that his forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin and wrongdoing. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have done. The Father will embrace you when you come home. You see, the younger brother knew that there was food to spare at his father's house, but what he failed to realize was that there was grace and love to spare as well. That there was no evil that the father's love could not cover. Jesus is telling this story to show us how big God's love is, how big his forgiveness is, that the father runs and pounces on a chance to bring us home. But understand what the younger brother was doing. When the younger brother left home, it was because the younger brother wanted the father's stuff without the father. Just like sometimes we want God's stuff without God. We want blessing. We want our prayers answered. We want forgiveness. We want friends and community that Christianity offers. We want all the things, but sometimes we don't want God. We just want his stuff. The younger brother thought that the way to a happy life was to get his father's stuff away from the father. They took it. And sometimes we think that we just want God's stuff without him. But what what this brother learned was that if you remove the blessings of the father from the father, they they cease to be blessings. When you remove the father's stuff from him, they cease to be blessings. You see, we follow Jesus not to get his stuff, but to get him. So the son returns home back to the source of joy, which was his father. There's a story recently in, in our community where this girl graduated high school, and many, many of you know this. She graduated high school, and one day she was running up to the store, and she never came home. Her parents found her, her car abandoned in a lot with her cell phone in it, and they, they feared the worst. They thought someone had taken her. They thought she kidnapped, and she was gone. And so they called the police, and the detectives got in, and they started looking for her, and everyone was praying, and all the Facebook forums, and everyone was praying and checking in and, and searching. And in a while, few, I don't know, weeks, months later, however long it took, they finally found her living her life happy with some guy she ran off with. It was all for naught. She didn't want to be there. She ran away. But do you not think that if that mom washing the dishes one day heard the sound of a door close, a car door close in the driveway, would not with bated breath run to the window to see, could it be my daughter return? And if it was, do you think that she would wait for the groveling and the apologies before she would let her in her house? Or do you not think that mom would run and embrace her and say, honey, I'm so glad you're home. And if a sinful parent would love their child like that, imagine how much more God loves his children and longs for them to return home. We the story of the younger brother, and we, we, we know this. We know this prodigal son, and, and, and so often it warms our hearts, and it, and it moves us to tears, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's encouraging and reminds us of God's love. But when the Pharisees, when the religious people heard this story, they were not choked up. They were not wiping tears from their face. They were not saying, oh, that's beautiful. Instead, they were enraged. They were angry, and they were offended by such a story just like the older brother. The older brother that we're about to see responds in the same way that the religious people responded to Jesus when he would hang out with and eat with the the prostitutes and the sinners and the tax collectors, the bad people. And so here's what happens. 
the older brother's out in the field, and he's just doing his thing. He's working, and he, and he hears this commotion going on up at the house, and he doesn't know what's going on. So he asks one of the servants, hey, what's going on up there? And the servant says, hey, your brother's home. They're throwing a party. Let's go. And the, and the brother, the older brother says, no, I'm not going to that party. I'm going in there. And so what does the father have to do? But the father is looking around for his older son. He doesn't know where he's at. He doesn't know what he's doing. And so the father who's throwing the party has to leave the party to come outside, look through the fields, find him, look, figure out where he's at, and say, what are you doing out here? Come into the party. Your brother's home. What are you doing? And he begs him and he pleads with him to come into the party, and the older brother refuses to go in. And this is what he says. The older brother says to his father, look, these many years I have served you, uh, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. You see what's happening? Both of these brothers actually wanted the father's stuff without the father. Both of them want to control the father's things without the father. The younger brother did it by taking it and leaving, but the older brother thought that he could get control of the father's stuff by obeying, by being good, by doing what he, always, doing what he was always supposed to do. That if he did all the right things, he would get his father's stuff. Like the religious leaders who thought if they obeyed God and were good enough, that God would love them, bless them, and take them to heaven. I want you to notice a few things that this brother says to his father, the older brother. He says, I've never disobeyed you. I've never disobeyed you. He's saying, I deserve more than what you are giving to this vile brother of mine, this son of yours. I deserve, you give him a fat calf, you never gave me a goat. I deserve more. How can you love him and treat me the way you're doing with the way he's acting? And then he says, when he starts out the sentence, the older brother says, look. He's like, he's saying, look here, buddy. Now, if I'd have said that to my mom, a wooden spoon would have been coming after me. And in a, in a culture of respect, when he speaks to his father like that, he's speaking to his father like he's a slave. And then he says, look, these many years I've served you. And the word serve there is the word doulos, which can be translated slave. Look, these many years I've been slaving for you. See, he's saying, listen, dad, it's not fun working here on the farm with you. Dad, I don't care about being here a part of this family working. It has not been a joy to work here. It has been slave labor, and I'm tired of it. I am weary of working for you. It has been torture for me. It is like I'm a slave. Like his younger brother, he only wanted his father's stuff without their trying to control the father through obedience, trying to control the father through being good, doing everything right. He thought if I was the perfect obedient son, unlike my rebellious brother, I'll get everything that's coming to me. He did not love his father, he just wanted his stuff. And while we like to think of ourselves as the younger brothers who come home and get rescued, there is to differing degrees some of the older brother in all of us as well. We are also the older brother. And there is this deep-seated belief, this thought that my goodness, that my religiosity, that my church going, that my love for God, that these things that I do will make God love me, bless me, answer my prayers, and take me to heaven. 
But the scariest verse in the Bible from Matthew 7 reminds us the same thing that this parable is trying to remind us. Where Jesus says, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty? Did we not do all this stuff for you, God? Was it, did we not go to church for you? Did we not sing loud enough, give enough for you? And Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me for I never knew you. You see, here's what we learned. There are two ways to be lost. There are two ways to go to hell. One is by being really, really bad. The other is by being really, really good. There are two ways to go to hell. You can be really, really bad and you will go to hell or you can be really, really good. Both alienate you from the Father. Both send you to hell. You see, hell will be full of church-going, charity-giving, good, honest, hard-working people. Hell will be full of them. Because being good does not earn you anything with the Father. It doesn't earn you a thing. The older brother is so angry because he thought he deserved control of the estate. Verse 30 He said, but when this son of yours came, devoured your property, you killed the fattened calf for him? Don't you see what he's saying? He's basically saying, Dad, you should have consulted me before you did all this. Before you gave him your robe and your ring, before you killed that calf, you should have consulted me. It's my right. He's saying, Dad, I don't trust you with my stuff. You waste it on the son of yours. He can't even call him his brother. You waste it on the son of yours. How could you give him the fattened calf? That's my calf. And the funny part is, he was right. Older brother was right. The father tells him in verse 31, he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. And therein lies the problem. The fattened calf was the older brothers. The robe was the older brothers. The ring was the older brothers. The money that it took to throw this party belonged to the older brother. The younger brother had taken his inheritance. It was gone. Everything that the father had left over belonged to the older brother. And so the cost to bring younger brother back into the family was at the older brother's expense. I don't want you back in this family. Not only does it cost me this, the calf and, and all this food, But to really restore the younger brother back to the family, another one-third of all that the older brother had had to be taken away to be given back to the younger brother as an inheritance. He had to divide again what was rightly his back to this younger brother. He had to pay the cost. So this older brother sees that it cost him greatly to bring his younger brother back into the family. And if it were up to him, he would say he would simply not allow it. Go let him work in the fields. Go let him work in the mines. Go let him earn his way back in if he so wants. Don't let him back in this easy. Can't you see that the Pharisees are the older brother? Angry that Jesus would hang out with these sinful people. See, they must have been wondering, I thought, you know, Jesus is saying he's a prophet, but if he was really a prophet, he would want to hang out with us because we obey God, we follow the law, we know the Bible, we know all the things. And so since Jesus is hanging out with all these, all this scum, he must not be a prophet of God, actually, because if he were, he'd hang out with us. 
don't you see that what Jesus was doing in telling this story to the Pharisees was exposing how hard their hearts were? That they were not willing to rejoice when vile sinners repent and come to God. May it never be true of us, church, that, that, that we would look down our nose at people thinking that they are too far from God's grace, but instead, let it be the cry of our hearts that those furthest from God would finally bow their knees. And when that happens, when people come and we, when we fill that tank and we dunk people, let us celebrate the loudest. This is all made all the more clear when you understand the parable in context. In chapter 15, there are three stories. And you have to understand all three to understand what's really going on. There, this is the parable of the lost coin, of the lost sheep, and then of the lost son, known as the prodigal son. And in all of them, there is something that is lost. There is someone who leaves to go find it. They find it, and when they bring it back, it says there is much rejoicing. And so you have the lost sheep, and there's, there's a sheep lost, and the shepherd leaves in 99, goes against the sheep, brings it back, and what does he say? But there, there was much rejoicing. There's a lost coin. Someone leaves, goes and finds a lost coin, gets the coin, brings it back. When he brings it back, there is much rejoicing. Now we have a lost son, but no one goes to find him. And when he comes back on his own, the older brother does not rejoice with what was found. And therein lies the problem. Therein lies the problem. And the question that we've got to answer is this. Whose job was it? Who should have gone looking for the lost son? Who should have looked for the lost son? And the answer is easy. The older brother. You see, when the older brother had learned that his, his brother had run away, he should have went to his dad and said, Dad, I will leave home and I will travel to this far country and I will find my little brother and I will bring him and I will put him on my back if I have to and carry him if I have to. And if he has spent all of his inheritance, as I assume he has, I will personally pay the price to bring him back in. What he should have said. But we don't get a true older brother in our story because Jesus wants the Pharisees and the religious people to see that their own failure to the sinners around them, that they were more concerned about their own piety and goodness than seeking and saving the lost. But thankfully, even though we don't get a true older brother in this story, in reality, we do get a true older brother. We do get a true older brother. The Bible says that Jesus is our older brother. And has not Jesus gone to the Father and said, Father, your children have run away. And I will leave this place, this heaven, and go to a far country. I'll go to earth, and I will find them. And I will personally pay the price to bring them home, even if it costs me my own life, as we know it did. Jesus is our true older brother who comes to get us and bring us home. When you were lost, Jesus did not wait for you to return. He came and got you. He did not make you climb your way back to heaven. He came to get you. Oh, what a Savior that we have. That he does not wait for us to come groveling and begging and pleading and making promises that we're going to be better. He doesn't wait for you to clean your life up and say, when you get your life right, you come home. He doesn't say, come home and you can work it off. You can work off your debt. He doesn't do that. He says, son, come home. I've paid it. I've covered it. I'll cover you with my own robes. Come home. You're mine. I want you back. I'll pay it. You see, there are two ways to be lost. 
be really, really bad, or be really, really good. But notice in the end, which brother is actually lost? Which brother was truly lost in the end? It wasn't the bad one, but the good one. In the end, the, 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 the bad brother is saved and the good brother is lost. And this is important to understand. The older brother is lost, not in spite of his goodness, but because of his goodness. It was his goodness that blinded him to his need of mercy and grace. It was his goodness that confused him and blinded him to thinking he needed mercy and grace because he thought he deserved it and he earned it. In the end, he finds his goodness wasn't enough. See, there are two ways to be lost, but one way is more dangerous than the other. Older brothers who think they're good are blind to their own condition. And the way you know this is when you call them out, when you say, hey, I think you're trusting in your own goodness, they get defensive, they argue, they say, no, don't talk to me, you don't know me. Look at all these other people and all the things that they're doing. I'm, I'm a good person. They get defensive, but younger brothers know their faults. They also know what it is to have a Savior who runs in after them and restores them and loves them unconditionally, holds them tight and never lets go. So here's the question. Which brother are you? There's a little bit of both in all of us, but which brother are you? Are you the brother who thinks that they can earn God's love, that they deserve God's love because of how holy you are and good you are, how you're not like all these other people messing their life up, but you're a good, hardworking, you provide for your family? Do you think that you deserve God's love because of that? Do you look down on people who are like younger brothers? Do you look down on people who mess up, who falter, who are not as moral or as religious as you are? Do you think God owes you that you've worked off enough debt that he now is obligated to do something for you? Or are you beyond grateful that you have a father who loves you? who forgives you and restores you, knowing that you could never make up for all the ways you've offended God, but yet you know that his grace and his grace alone has been lavished on you and that's all you need, that you want the stuff. Which brother are you? Are you the older brother, prideful and arrogant, thinking you're good, looking down on others, or are you the younger brother who's thrown himself at the mercy of the Father, and the fa instead of on the ground groveling, he lifts us up and hugs our neck and says, I'm glad you're home. Which brother are you? There's two ways to be lost. Be really, really bad, or be really, really good. Both will get you hell. And there's only one way to get home. It's not by being good or bad, but by throwing ourselves on the mercy of our true older brother, Jesus of Nazareth. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your goodness and kindness. For those in this room that are younger brothers, Lord, remind them that they do not have to clean themselves up before they come home. They do not have to get their act together before they come home. That they do not have to come and grovel and beg and make false promises of being better. But rather that as soon as they turn toward you, you will embrace them and love them and make them yours. And for the older brothers in this room, God, would you humble them to show them that there is no amount of goodness that they could ever live up to that would merit them your love. Instead, remind them and show them that they must repent not just of their bad deeds, but of their good ones as well, because they're not good enough. Remind us of that, God. 
that they would turn from their morality, they would turn from their pious uh, thinking and say, I'm good, but I'm not good enough. I need your grace, Father. Help us to have that. We love you. We pray all those people said.